This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. God bless all of you. I believe God has a, a word and instruction for every one of us in here today. And so my prayer again is that we all leave here differently than we came. And I believe God will move within our lives. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up real high, I encourage you to get the, the Word of God in your hands. Once you get a Bible, we'll begin in John 3, and then we'll go back into the Old Testament to Joshua 2 with Rahab this morning. But we'll begin in, in John 3. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I welcome people being excited about the Word of God. Whether you clap, you shout, you want to give God a standing ovation, this will be one of those days that you're welcome to do that. Not just this day, but any day. And so, as you're turning to John 3... Uh, many times in our life as human beings, we don't view people the way God views people. That when God sees people, God sees value, God sees potential, God sees a, a, a greatness within every one of us. And at times when we look at people, we look at people as disreputable sinners. We think, how could God use them? But if we were to take a journey real quick through the Bible... Uh, we wouldn't choose the same people God would choose. And so there's a guy named Saul that God chose, and that became the Apostle Paul. I mean, also an illustration is the woman named Mary of Magdala, who he cast seven devils out of. So again, oftentimes, I wouldn't choose them, but God chooses them. And so something happens when we begin to look and to value people the way God does. So with that thought, and it'll play in this whole morning... Let's start in John 3, one of the famous verses, John 3, 16. And so let's just begin there. And it says, for God, for God so loved the world. Now, that word love there is an unconditional love. It's a love by choice. It's, it's a love by God's will. It's not based on what you do or don't do. It's just for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And when it talks about his only begotten son, that's the uniqueness of Jesus. There was never anyone like him, and there'll never be anyone like him. And so he's the begotten son. And he goes on to say here, that whosoever believeth in him. Now it begins and starts right here in the heart. It doesn't say he who does right. It says he who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when I look at this, God is he's, he's determined and he pursues and his greatest thought is where me and you will spend eternity at. And so God looks at me and you through these things called eternal lens because he knows we'll either spend eternity in heaven with him or the only other option's hell. And so this is God's heart forever. For God so loved the world. So how do we define the world? Well, in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, it says all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So literally stated, for God so loved the people that were dominated by the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, or the pride of life. You know, God's not concerned with what you've been. God's more concerned on where you're going. He has a heart for every one of us in here. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, to reject the world, 
to pass sentence upon the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so this was Jesus' job right here. Jesus came into the world for the people of the world to be saved. And so when you look at all that, verse 16 and 17, you understand there's only one way. And that's through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So turn with me now to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Joshua, chapter 2. And as you're turning there, without Jesus in your life, you'll be synchronized to the things of this world. The only way there's a change in your life is to change your heart. And when people give their heart to Jesus... Something on the inside starts working on the outside. And oh, what a change in our life. Now, you're going to see that right here this morning. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun. I'm just going to stop there. This guy named Joshua, he's been on this journey to the promised land, to this land of more. And when you read this right here, he's been going on this journey for over 40 years now. And I, it shows me what, what resilience he had, what perseverance he had. A man who said, you know what, I'm not going to stop in this life until I get to the more that God has. And so it says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from a Cassia grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now the reason it says especially Jericho, because Jericho would be the first city they would go after but when you see the two spies that he chose, remember this, that Joshua had been a part of the first group that had went out that Moses sent, the 12. And out of those 12, only two of them said, we can do this. So it's interesting, this time, Joshua says, I'm just going to send two. Now the two he selected, he didn't pick them out of a lottery. He didn't say, man, those two are handsome, those two are brilliant. No, when you look at the two he chose, the reason he chose them is because they thought like he did. They had the same desires that he did. The first one was his old buddy, old Caleb, who had been with him the first time they went. And so again, it shows me this guy named Caleb. Caleb's a guy you want to do life with spiritually. He's going to be one of those ones that said, boys, we're not quitting until we get there. He was the first one. The second one that he chose was a guy named Finus. Now, you can study Finus's life in the book of Numbers, chapter 25. And there was a plague going on among the Israelites that was bad. And so Finus says, I'm going to put a stop to it. So he takes a spear and he thrusts it to a Jewish man and a foreign woman or a pagan woman and kills them both. And at that minute, it stopped it. And so when he chooses these two guys, he chooses them both because they both have a desire to get to the promised land. That's who you want to do life with. Ones that say, man, we can't quit. God's got more for us. So this is how he sends them. He goes on to say, So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. So you look and say, now why would they end up at her house? So there's a couple meanings of this. She owned a lodge or an inn like a hotel, and there were many people that would go in and out of there at night to the hotel, but also for the business she ran, uh, ran, which was in prostitution. Now, when you look at this woman named Rahab right here, she has three strikes against her immediately. 
She's a woman, she's a Canaanite, and she's a harlot. Not a good combination. I would be willing to bet she wasn't on the ballot for being woman of the year. I doubt that, okay? But when I look at this woman named Rahab right here, her past and her present of what she was doing in her life didn't disqualify her from the things of God. Every one of us in this room, we have certain labels that try to identify us. Certain labels that try to keep us in, in this area from ever getting to what God has. Now, her, her title, and it's always interesting to me, the Bible never tries to hide what she was doing or how she was living. So Rahab's in, in, uh, issue was that of a harlot. My issue and your issue is probably different, but it doesn't mean we don't have issues. And so when you begin to look at this, God had a plan for this woman's life, but not only that, she was very instrumental for the Israelites to take over Jericho. So now to go a little further, we, we go to verse number 8, and as you're turning there, Rahab hides them on top of the roof. If she would have been caught with harboring Caleb and Finus, she would have been guilty of treason, and they would have probably killed her on the spot. This was how dangerous this was. Verse 8. Now before they lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now it's interesting her words there. She says to these two Hebrew guys, she says, I know the Lord has given you the land. Do you know Romans 8.31 says, If God be for me, who can be against me? And I believe she's addressing that right there. She's saying right there, I know God's given you this land. She goes on and says, That the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Now here, I want you to think about this just for a second, what she said. We know your track record. We know how God brought you out of Egypt, how he split the Red Sea. Now here's the interesting thought about that. That was 40 years ago. But yet this woman knew and she heard all the things that God had done over and over and over. So in her heart, she's like, this God that you serve, he's God. Now watch how she clarifies that. And what you did to the other side of Jordan is Sahan and Og, whom they utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now watch her words here. For the Lord, your God. For the Lord, your God. She didn't say the God of somewhere or somebody else. She said the Lord, your God. In other words, she identifies the Hebrew God. She says Yahweh, the great Jehovah, Adonai, the supreme master. And she goes on to say there at the end of that, she says, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. In other words, your God rules in heaven and your God rules in earth. Now think just a second what she just did. She acknowledged God as the God. 
she confesses God right there as Lord. There is no other God. So to a degree right there, guess what she's done? She's confessed God as God. And God acknowledges that. Anytime a person looks to him. Verse 12, she goes on to say, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord. And when she said that, it was a binding nature of a promise. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house. And give me a true token. Give me a pledge of truth. Now watch what she says here. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. And all that they have. And deliver our lives from death. You know what this woman realizes? Without God we all die. And it's wonderful to see the heart of this woman. She wasn't just concerned about her. She said, my mom and dad, my siblings. And then she says, and all those are with her. So she's pouring out her heart and saying, even my aunts and uncles, even my nephews and nieces, I do not want them perishing. And her heart wasn't just for her, but it was for her whole family. And something begins to happen when we live that way. Verse 14. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Now right here, when you look at this, Oftentimes, especially people within the church, we gauge a person's interest when they come to the Lord based on their background, based on their appearance, and even their reputation. But remember, for God so loved the world. And so when people come to the church that have a reputation that may not be godly, we should rejoice at that instead of scolding them. We should welcome. We welcome you. Do you know in Matthew 9, the, the religious leaders of that time said to Jesus' disciples, they said, why does your master hang out with the sinners and eat with the tax collectors? Better stated, why does he run with the sinners? Why does he uh, hang out with the scum of the earth? And you know what Jesus' reply was? Those who are well are not in need of a physician, only those who are sick. And when he said that about being sick, he was talking about the people of the world that are spiritually sick. And the truth of the matter is, every one of us are spiritually sick. Not everybody will admit that, though. I'm spiritually sick. You know what that means? I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So again, when you look at this, this is how John 3, 16 comes into play. And I should never forget, for God so loved the world. The people of the world. Same chapter. Verse 17. So the men, Phineas and Caleb, said to Rahab, We will be blameless of this oath. We will be blameless of this vow of yours, which you have made us swear. 
So what they're saying here right now is, listen, lady, the responsibility's on you, and you must follow precisely our instruction. Now watch what he says here. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. Without that, everybody perishes. So they had a scarlet cord. That scarlet cord is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. It was a shadow. So as that scarlet cord hung out of her window, it was the same as when our Lord and Savior Jesus hung on the cross. That there was the sacrifice. And so he tells them right here, you're blood bought. I'm blood bought. And the blood, it answers every accusation that the devil will present against every one of us. The blood speaks, the blood has testimony, the blood is a witness, the blood is the legal side of redemption that gives God an opportunity to move in me and use life. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. So when you look at this, her only hope and her family's only hope and me and you's only hope is the blood of Jesus. Nothing else mattered. 1 John 1, 7 says the blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now here's what I want you to see about this woman named Rahab. Her past didn't disqualify her from her future. Something happens with the blood of Jesus for every one of us in this room. So a couple things I want to point out to you. When you see this, the blood of the Lamb, they told her that if your family, your brothers, your sisters, and your mother and father, if they don't come under that scarlet cord, they'll all perish. So you know what this tells me? She had to tell them about what they had told her. She had to tell them, you'll perish without coming underneath that scarlet cord. And guess what? Once they heard that, they had to make the decision, do we believe that and do we obey that? So you know what this shows me? Even in me and you's lives, we're called to tell our family members about the blood of Jesus. We're not called to save them. We're just called to tell them about, woo, the blood of Jesus. The significance of the blood of Jesus. Now, in that verse right there, Caleb and Finus told her, when we come back, if that scarlet cord isn't hanging out of that window, then you'll die. So from that day forward, what do you think Rahab thought about that scarlet cord? She didn't know when they were coming back. They said we're coming back, but they didn't give her a date. They didn't say on January 12th we're coming back. See, that's the same with the Lord Jesus. He's coming back. 
We don't know when, but we got the promise. He's coming back. Just like that goes, they gave her the promise. So from that day forward, what do you think Rahab thought about that scarlet cord? I can tell you what she thought. When she got up, the first thing she did was she walked outside and looked to make sure it was hanging. And when she stopped to get a drink, she would make sure it was hanging. And when she went home for lunch, she would make sure it was hanging. And when she went to bed at night, she said, that scarlet cord's got to be out. And she would tell her family members, don't ever mess with the blood. Stay under the blood day by day by day by day. Pastor, you're a little excited. I am. I'm real excited. You know what that tells me and you? i got to stay under the blood every day. Every day. I'm blood bought. I'm washed. And the blood of Jesus is so powerful, he said, the blood would mark you as overcomers. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So something happens when I say, Father God, I welcome your son's blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes my eyes. The blood that washes my thoughts. It washes my ears. It washes my heart. And so this woman, Rahab, had to understand every bit of that. The significance of the blood. i got to stay under the blood. I don't care who we are. How long, Pastor? Day by day by day by day. Now turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going back into the New Testament. And I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And we'll get back to Rahab. But in Philippians chapter 3... We run into the Apostle Paul's writing again. And I believe he faced the same dilemma that many of you, many of us, many of we in this room have faced. And you know what it is? I gave my heart to Jesus. I got born again. But I still live the same way that I used to. I'm, I'm still bound by these labels. I don't have to ask for a show of hands, but that would be every one of us in here. And so in this passage here, the Apostle Paul gives us great instruction. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says this, Not that I've already attained, am already perfected, but I press on. I press on. Now again, oftentimes when people give their heart to Jesus, we almost stop and think, that's it. But he said, I press on. It shows his resilience. It shows his perseverance. Actually, it shows his courage to say, i got to keep pressing on. And he goes on to say, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so what he's saying there is, I keep on to live fully with what Jesus died for me to have. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, but man, he wants me to live more right here. Where's that biblically, Pastor? Well, the Lord said in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. He wants you to live abundant life. So Paul's saying, I want to experience it, everything that Jesus died for me to have. Verse 13, brethren, fellow believers, born again Christians, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, and the Amplified says right there, my one aspiration, now get this, this was the Apostle Paul, listen to what he says. One thing I do, 
I forget those things which are behind. In other words, I'm not going to allow those old behaviors, I'm not going to allow those old labels that used to define me to keep identifying me. And he said, I lay hold, that's the old man. 2 Corinthians 5, he said, if any man be a new creation or a new creature, all things have passed away, all things have become new in Christ. And so Paul said, one thing I do, I forget my past. Now he had a past. He had an incredible past. How many of us in here got a past? I got a past. It's not good. But he said, one thing I do, I forget my past. And look what he says next. And I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I reach forward to those things. Those things God has for me. Verse 14. I press toward. Here again, he uses that same word. I press. Do you know in Matthew 11, it says, The kingdom of heaven suffer violent, but the violent take it by force. I press on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he begins to tell us right here, I'm going to have to live differently. Now I'm going to quote a scripture for you. Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, He made us acceptable in the beloved. One translation literally said, We've been graced with grace. So guess what he's going to do? He's going to grace me to move past my past. Verse number 7 says this, And it was at the expense of the blood of Jesus. So what Jesus does He comes in when we give our heart to him, and he reconciles us. He reestablishes us. He creates a relationship between us. Now let me tell you how that played in Rahab's life. In order to get where Rahab finally got to, she had to get past her past. She had to keep moving forward. And we know that happened with Rahab because if we were to study the bloodline, the family tree, the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus, Matthew 1 verse 5 says, And Rahab the harlot. Rahab was in the bloodline of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So it would say this, And Rahab had a son named Boaz, and Boaz was married to Ruth. Now, if you look at our Lord and Savior Jesus' bloodline, you have Rahab, a Canaanite, and you have Ruth, a Moabite. They were some of the most ungodly people on the earth. But it shows again, when the Lord and Savior comes into people's heart, He changes them where God will use them. He'll use you. Rahab also had eight different prophets that were descendants of hers including Jeremiah. Now here's another fact for you about Rahab. If we were to get in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews eleven thirty one, it would say, the harlot Rahab. She's only one of two women in the Faith Hall of Fame. Sarah and Rahab. She's in there. The old ho Rahab made it. I'm just going to get your attention... Okay, she's an oh-ho, okay? I can't believe he said that. My staff will tell you I've said worse. 
Again, I want to make a point that the Bible never steered away or avoided saying, this is where people were, but this is what God can do when we allow him on the inside. It's the same for you and me. I remember years ago, I was sitting in a restaurant eating with my brother, and this guy walks by and he stops and he looks at us and he says, if God could save you two, he could save anybody. That was one of the greatest compliments I ever heard because you know what he realized? There's a change in them too. See, that's what God does. And I got two passages of scriptures I got to get you to. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. And we were there last week. And I told you a few weeks ago, there's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. I believe this will help every one of us in here when you see this today, okay? This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and then we're going to John 16, right after this. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. That statement, therefore, because of the fact of salvation and the faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus only. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That word condemnation means a guilty of wrong. But he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have been born again. So when we look at the word condemnation, it has the meaning of guilt. Guilt and shame are different, totally different. Guilt is a response to my behaviors, the things I've done, where shame is a response to who I think I am. And most of the time with shame, we have this feeling, I'm defective, something's wrong with me. And so what happens with guilt, guilt will begin to pound you and bang you, and, and, and it's a tormentor. It'll tell you how guilt will say, you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl. So if he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, then where is condemnation coming from? It's one of the devil's greatest tools. And what he does is he tries to come back and he tries to continually bring up your past. You remember when you did this? You remember when you did that? And so literally, he guilts us, but that guilt tries to paralyze us where we don't even want to come to church. How many of you were so guilty before you said, I, I can't go to church? He shamed me so bad. You didn't want anybody to know your behaviors. You know, he used to tell me that. He would beat me up with guilt so bad that he would say this. He'd say, I I'm going to tell all those people that come to your church all the stuff you did. And I, 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 I would freak. It almost paralyzed me. I'd stop and I'd oh my gosh. They would look at me like you ought to be locked up. The truth of the matter is, humanity is on death row, every one of us. And I don't get where I'm at because of my good behaviors. I get where I'm at because of the blood of Jesus. And so if he's trying to guilt you to this day, remember that feeling of condemnation is from the devil. So what do we do, Pastor? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Turn to John 16. John 16. Now, many times when I turn to passages of Scripture, I'll say, this is my favorite passage. Well, you say that. You say, Pastor, you say that every week. Well, this is one of them, okay? 
Now, I encourage you to read the entire book of John 16. And the reason I tell you to read that is because it's red-letter words. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, watch what he says here. Verse 7, John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is that important. See, he never lied to him anyhow. But he said, boys, you got to get this. It is to your advantage or best for you that I go away. And when he's talking about going away, he's talking about I'm going to heaven. For if I do not go away, I don't go to heaven, the helper will not come to you. Now, if you really want to study who the helper is, if you would go back to John 15, verse 26, it'll tell you who the helper is. To save you a little time, it's the Holy Spirit. Look at his words. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him, H-I-M, him to you. Now, why did you highlight H-I-M? Because it doesn't say the Holy Spirit is an it. It said he was a him. He was a person who operates in the hearts of mankind. And so he said, I'm going to send you a helper. And so the reason the Lord Jesus said that, when I was around you, I could influence you, 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 the 12 of you. But I couldn't help the other people. And so if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And guess what he'll do? He'll help every one of us. Now, if Jesus told us we need a helper, this may be a big revelation. Shouldn't it tell me that I need help? I don't know about you, but in my life, I welcome all the resources of help of heaven I can get. Let me ask you this. How do you welcome the, the helper in your life? Come, Holy Spirit, and help me? Or do I stiff arm me? Keep reading. Verse 8. And when he... Not it. When He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment of sin, because they do not believe Him. Now, I'm reading one day this passage, and I get over into the Amplified, and instead of the word convict, the Amplified says convince. So the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help her, and He will convince you that you're a sinner. Now, there's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation beats you up. Conviction will set you free. How does that work? Well, this is how we are. Every one of us in here. He says, I'm going to convict the world of sin. He'll come in and convince, convince you that you're a sinner. So ultimately, you know what the Holy Spirit's job is? He gets us to a place. Now, listen real close. It gets us to a place where we repent. How many of us have viewed repentance as a bad thing? Listen, don't ever view it as a bad thing. So what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to scratch my heart and He convicts me of sin? You know what He's saying? The desire is that you repent. And when I repent, not only does God forgive me, but it opens my life back up to a fellowship and a relationship with Him. 
And so if there's an area of your life where you seem dry, you seem like God is distant. Could it be because the Holy Spirit has tried to convict you of sin to say, repent, repent, so the relationship can be back open? See, the devil doesn't want you to repent. He doesn't want you having a relationship because he knows without a relationship with God, it's uphill. You're not going to make it. And so view repentance, the conviction of the, it's a good thing. Woo, I welcome it, Lord. I welcome it today. See, that's the healthy response to it. So what happens, pastor, if the devil keeps condemning me? Well, tell him to shut up. God's given us authority. Luke 10, 17, he said, I give you authority. Luke 10, 17 through 9, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. So listen to me, listen. Here's a truth that I really want you to get today. Too many times in our life as believers, we've, we've acted like the devil was even with God. Here's God and here's the devil. It's not even close. The devil was a created being that was created by God. He's way down here, and he wants to bluff you to tell you, I'm the new sheriff, and you're going to bow to me, when in reality, he's not. And so the way we overcome is we overcome by the blood of Jesus. So when the devil starts telling you about how bad you are, how ugly you are, how much you've been messed up, what you begin to say is, I'm blood-bought. I'm an overcomer by the blood of Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror because of the blood of Jesus. See, again, none of that is based on me. It's based on the blood. Wow. So something happens when I begin to live under the blood of Jesus. So we go back to how we started. Oftentimes, God chooses people that we would have never chose. I mean, think about this. How many of us in this room would chose a hoe to be the mother of Jesus? It would have never happened. But again, when God looks at people, God sees potential. God sees value. And that's the same with us. When we look at other people, we ought to look at them through the lens of God's eyes. And if we don't have that, we need to say, God birthed that within me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.